Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to, we're going to look at several of the passages here, but we're going to start in verse 8. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. Um, I made something up for today, and it's not in front of the bulletin. It says PGS. That's not PBS, and it's not GPS. It's PGS. That's Passive God Syndrome. Anybody wonder what in the world that is? Well, you probably would have never heard that before because I really made it up this week. It's just totally out of the air. But I made up the, 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 the words or the, the, the phrase in order to describe what I think many of us tend to fall into. And that is a passive rather than an active faith. What is passive God syndrome? It's not that God is passive at all. God is never passive. God is always at work. He is always active. He is always doing what it is that he does according to his own pleasure. But the passiveness or passivity, I guess that's how you say it, passivity, the passiveness is on our part. It's the difference between pursuing God and just letting God happen in our lives as it happens to happen. It's the difference between being a tourist and being a missionary. Being there just because you want to see the sights or being there because you've been sent and because there's a plan. Passive God syndrome is what so many of us fall into when we forget that the calling of God upon our lives to follow Him is to follow Him, not just, not just interact with Him every now and then. You know if you fall into PGS, Passive God Syndrome, based on how you respond in different circumstances. You'll, you'll respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting with a lackadaisical attitude if you're just passive about faith. If, if you're active about it, then when, when God speaks, you stop and you, you, you perk up and you listen. It's the difference between having a, a heart that wants to please God and a heart that just, well, if I please God, that's good, but I'm not going to try too hard. Now, no, but none of us would put it in those terms, but the reality is so oftentimes we are more passive than we are active. Here's what made me really start to examine this thought or this, this, this condition. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, starting in verse 8, this is what the scripture says. I was reading this a week or two ago and it just... It just jumped out on the page. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And here's the verse, verse 10. And find out what pleases the Lord. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
That verse 10 it just echoed in my heart over and over and over. It says, and find out what pleases the Lord. It tells us that we're to find out. Not just accidentally please the Lord. Not just accidentally do things right. But we're to be ever mindful of the righteousness of God and His righteous requirement or expectation of us. And so we're going to, in a moment, go back to the beginning of chapter 5, starting in verse 1. But I want to offer this to you. Have you ever been to a restaurant, a buffet, and, and you went up to the, the, the buffet to, uh, to start getting food, and so you reached for a plate, and, and they are oftentimes upside down, which is a good thing, Right? And so you pick up the plate, and when you look at it, there's something on it. Have you ever had that happen to you? It happens quite a lot in one of these multi, uh, a place where there's a lot of people coming through, and they're just, they're just throwing plates in the dishwasher, bringing them out. What do you do when you pick up a plate, and it's got a speck of food on it, or, or a piece of something that wasn't cleaned? Do you take it and throw it on the ground and shatter it? No more, no more. This plate is totally useless. No, of course not. You take the plate. And you set it aside. And you get another plate. And the next plate you get, you do what? You inspect it. You look at it. And please, that's what I do. Anytime I'm in a restaurant, I look at my, my plate and I look at my cup and I look at my, my utensils. Because I want clean utensils. Now, the plate doesn't lose its value because it's dirty. The, 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 the value of the plate still exists. It just is useless in the moment. You choose not to use a plate that is dirty because you expect a clean plate. You don't want to use a plate that somebody else's leftovers have been left over on, right? That is exactly the way it is with God when it comes to our pursuit of Him and our pursuit of righteousness and holiness. Our value to God does not cease. It does not lessen. But it's that we're not able to be used by God in the way that He seeks to use us when we've got junk left on the plate. He's looking for a clean vessel. I would dare say to you that the reason so many believers are not being used by God in the way that He intends to use them, the reason that they don't have God stories in any serious number, the reason they're not seeing mountains shake and, and, uh, and, and, and idols fall, the reason that they're not seeing the work of God in their life is not because God is not willing or able to use them. It's that they're not a clean vessel because they're probably engaged in PGS, passive God syndrome. My question to you is this. Are you pursuing God? Are you learning what is pleasing to the Lord? Now, you might say, well, look, I've been a Christian long enough. I know what pleases the Lord. Well, let me ask you differently. Are you pleasing the Lord? And the reality is that statement demonstrates that you really haven't figured out if you were. I don't think you'd say that. But, but we're always growing. We're always learning. Listen to what the scripture says in verse 8. For you were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. I read this over and over and over because there was something missing. Do you see what's missing? For you were once darkness. What's missing in that phrase? The, the pronoun. You were once in darkness is what we expected to say, right? Any, anybody ever read that more than once? Go, wait a minute. Shouldn't it say we were once in darkness? But it doesn't. In the original text, it says For you were once darkness. If you were in darkness... 
then you were just, you were just uh, uh, kind of there. It, it means that your condition is not so bad. It means that, that you're in it, but you can be out of it. And being out of it is not, not that hard to do. You just move from one place to another. When it says, for you were once darkness... It's telling us, the scripture's telling us that we weren't just in darkness, but we were consumed by darkness. At the very core of who we were is brokenness and sinful and darkness. Now, the scripture uses light and dark as a way of illustrating sin and holiness, God and no God. So for the scripture to say, for you were once darkness, the scripture saying that you and I were once in such desperate shape that we didn't even know how bad it was. But it says we were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And once again, it's not you are in light, it is you are light. So what's going on here is a fundamental shift, a fundamental change, a transformation of the very core of who you are. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, the reason that you were to pursue God is because you are no longer yourself like you used to be. Our scripture memory verse for today, the live and share verse, uh, is it 1 Corinthians 5.17? 2 Corinthians 5.17. For if anyone is in Christ, I don't have it here, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. It doesn't say if anyone is in Christ, he's a rebuilt creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a modified creation. What does it say? He is a new creation. There is a newness about you from start to finish. And because of that, you are light. You are the light. And so, as we continue, live as children of the light. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord Live as children of the light. That is the calling of our lives. That is why we find out what pleases the Lord. Because the stakes are very high. It is of utmost importance that we live as children of the light. Because that is who we are. To do anything else is for us to deny the very fundamental basis of our own salvation. What does a child of the light look like? Well, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But as we... As we... uh, uh, As we live as children of the light, we find that the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So to live as children of the light looks like this. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Notice the word here, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth. Does your life consist of all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth? See, as I'm studying this this week, what, what's abundantly clear is how, how, far, far, how far short I fall in what the expectation is for a follower of Jesus. Too many times we look and we say, Whew, man, I, I'm glad I know the Lord. I'm I'm, I'm glad I have his peace, and I'm glad I have his comfort, and I'm glad he's there when I need him. I'm I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad when I die, I'm going to heaven. But we forget that the calling of God is not just for us to have a security blanket. It's not just for us to, to, to find peace and hope and joy. It's for us to realize that we are now marked. If you will, think of it this way. We are marked as an employee of the king. 
And not just as an employee, but as an ambassador, as a representative. So everything you do represents his name. Everything. I regularly tell my son and my daughters, I told this more, but, but he's in that age now that, that I, I, I tell him more. I say, son, remember whose name you carry. You carry my name. And I be, I'm one that believes that your name is, 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 if not the, it's one of the most important things that you have. A good name, a good reputation is so important. Wouldn't you agree? That when they, when they say your name, they don't go, oh, yeah, right? There are people in your life and my life that when you hear their name, you instantly think, I can't depend on them. They're a, they're a, they're a sleazeball. They're a, uh, they don't have integrity. I would never, you know, I like them, but I'd never invite them to do something important because I can't trust them. There are people like that, right, in your life and in my life. But there are also people that when their name is mentioned, you think, oh, yes, I, 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 would, I would trust my children with them. I would, trust, I would trust my very life with them. If I'm on a cruise ship and the cruise ship is going down, I want them to be with me because I know that they're going to figure out a way to swim and help me swim too. As a follower of Jesus, we carry his name. The name of Jesus is written on our jersey, on the back of our shirt, and everything we do and everywhere we go, people see that name. And it's not as much about people seeing the name as it is that we represent God. And so our thought is not how do other people see us as much as it is am I pleasing to the Lord. Today the call of this morning is for us to step up our pursuit of what God is calling us to be as the people of God. And it consists of you know you're doing that. The fruit of it is all goodness, all righteousness. And all truth. We okay, Al? We good? Okay. You need somebody? Okay, good deal. I know we were all worried, so thank you. So all of these things. So here's the thing. The scripture tells us in verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We live in a dark, dark world. We live in a world that, that darkness is celebrated, that evil is considered good and good is considered prudish. We live in a world where we, we expect people to be foul and wicked. When I say we, I say collectively, it is abnormal to be holy in our world, right? If, if, you, if you don't get drunk, then you're weird. If you don't party like it's 1999 on a regular basis, then what's wrong with you? If you don't live with your, with your girlfriend for a period of time before you even think about getting married, then what's the problem? Why, you, would, you wouldn't buy a car without trying it out, would you? I mean, these are things... I know that sounds crude, doesn't it? But that, these are the kind of things that you hear. I mean... <laughs> Suddenly I realized what I just said, and that doesn't sound... <laughs> you understand what I'm trying to say, right? But, but, but the morality of our culture, it, it's not just different than the expectation for the follower of Jesus. It's actually that it's on the other side of... It's considered totally right to be totally against the commands of God, and it's con considered totally wrong and 
add to that judgmental, uh, arrogant, and all those other labels to be, to, be, to be pursuing holiness and righteousness. But here's the thing. At the end of all days, we don't stand before each other and say, so how did you do? So what was your life like? At the end of all days, there will be one and one alone that we will stand before and give an account for our life. We will stand before the holy, righteous king of all kings and we will give an account for every careless word and for every action. And on that day, he's not going to say, well, at least you were better than so-and-so. We will stand there alone and naked and, and exposed to this holy God. And he's going to say, what did you do with what you knew I, have ex- I expected of your life? That's, a, that's an enormous thought. This is, this is why the scripture says that we're to fear the Lord. Not, not fear as we're afraid of him, but a reverent fear. Understanding that God will call us to account. And folks, it's much easier in today's age to just, to just talk about the love of God and the kindness of God and the goodness of God. And all those things are true, but those things do not negate the holiness of God. And so Paul is saying to the Ephesian church that we are to, that we are to, to live as children of the light and we're to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Notice the way he says that, the fruitless deeds of darkness. I love this illustration because it works so well, but it's the hollow Easter bunny. The hollow chocolate bunny, right? In, on each, at Easter time, you can either get a real chocolate bunny or you can get a hollow chocolate bunny. The hollow chocolate bunny looks good, but it never tastes good. I've never Because if, if, it, if it were good enough chocolate to taste good, they would have given you a full chocolate bunny, Right? They give you the cheapest, nastiest kind of chocolate possible because it's easy. And you look at it and you say, oh, my chocolate bunny. And you bite in and it just crumbles. That is what these deeds of darkness are like. They're fruitless. I've never known a soul who waking up with a hanger goes, uh, a hanger, a hangover goes, man, that was awesome. I love the way I feel right now. Have you? I've, I've never known illicit uh, 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 people who, who, after living wildly, come back and say, man, that was the greatest time of my life. There's always an element of regret, a regret and there's always an element of pain in sin. You cannot, I cannot escape that because they're fruitless. What is fruitless? Fruitless means it, it's got green leaves, but there's nothing of substance. But the thing is this, righteousness... Produces fruit that lasts. It's fruit that is real. Have you ever had a great piece of fruit? Have you ever had a, an orange that when you bit into it, it was like a firework show in your mouth? It was like 4th of July going on and so you actually ate a little bit slower because you wanted to savor every single slice. You ever had that happen? You ever eaten a strawberry where the juices just... And if you could slow it down in slow-mo, you would, you would see this. And then you would see all the joy in your head and in your body saying, oh, this is the best strawberry. That's the kind of fruit that comes from righteousness. But we can't see that because it's not instant. The fruitless deeds of darkness 
is instant gratification that leads always to brokenness and regret. Right? But the fruits of righteousness, or the fruit of righteousness, is usually long coming. It's slow in the making. And you don't realize how good it is until you look back and you say, Thanks be to God that He is able to build what He's built in my life because of me following Him. So, have nothing to do with, with, with darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what, is dis, what, is, what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything illuminated becomes the light. So in other words, as... As sin in our own lives. Let's not talk about them. Let's talk about us. As God reveals to us the, 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 the rot in our own life. As he exposes that. As he, as he reveals that. It then becomes the light. And it then becomes something that God transforms. You know, the scripture is all about redemption, right? Right? God is always about turning and changing that which is not good into that which is good. So whatever is exposed by the light becomes visible. And then that which has been exposed or illuminated, it actually becomes the light itself. So our life, our life becomes something that God begins to use in a way that is beautiful. Um, one of the things that... that kind of a catch-22. When, when you see a person of great influence who sin greatly, oftentimes what you will find is the shame of the exposure and then the grace from God that is given through the exposure. Now, what I mean by that is this. Let's say a preacher uh, sins and falls morally some way. The shame of that is horrendous. But after the shame has passed, and it doesn't pass for everybody, there are some people who will never, ever, ever listen to that person again because they, they cannot see past what they, what they expected and then what was, was not fulfilled. Their expectation was never met, so I'm totally wiping them from the slate of being able to ever hear them again. But if you take a person who endures the shame of sin and then they're restored... Their ministry afterwards is always deeper. And it's always more, more uh, uh, what's the word, uh, more engaging. And it's always reaching a different level or a different kind of people because they experienced the grace of God. Did that make sense to you? So in our own lives, when God exposes in us and when we expose in others, the hope is that that exposure will, will produce real fruit. Not, not that we would ever want to sin and not that we would ever want to fail. But as that happens, God transforms it and makes something beautiful out of something that was horrible. Beauty from ashes, so to speak. So let's go back, okay? So this is the expectation that we are to pursue God. We are to find out what pleases the Lord. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 7 is a, is a painful passage. It is painful because it, it cuts to the very root of who we are as humans. It's painful because every single verse exposes in us the true nature of who we are. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Follow God's example. Now, you may have a translation of the scripture that says, be imitators of Christ, right? As God's dearly loved children. The word imitate means to mimic. The word imitate means to mimic. So we are to mimic God's example. Now, this is the basis of of living as children of the light. To live as children of the light will produce the fruit of all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth, right? But for that fruit to happen, for us to live as children of the light... We do that by following God's example, by mimicking God's example. And here's the thing. We don't ever fully mimic his example. It's not like we get to a point in our life, we go, okay, I'm good. I look just like him. No, it's this continual day in and day out living as an imitator, as a mimicker of Christ. Uh, In my house, there's a phrase that happens all the time. My wife regularly says to me, okay, Jimmy... For those of you who don't know, Jimmy is my father. Now, what has been discovered here recently is that is a common phrase in my two brothers' household as well. We were having dinner uh, at, my, at my dad's house, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. And we are sitting around the table. And, and I think Krista said at first, she said, now, I just want you all to know that I'm married to Jesus, my brother. And then my wife, of course, says, well, I'm married to Jesus' brother. And then, uh, then my, my other brother's wife said, well, I'm married to his other brother. And then Benja says, well, I'm married to their daddy. <laughs> and what we discovered is all three of the boys act just alike in certain circumstances. We have the same, we have the same thought process and things. We have the same uh, responses. You know, our, our, it was actually revealing how much alike me and my two brothers were, but then how much the three of us boys are just like our father. Now, does that surprise anybody? Aren't you supposed to be like your parents? Don't you have the DNA of, of, of your mom and dad? And don't your kids have your DNA? And just to be fair, I regularly call Shannon Sonny. That's her mom's name. I, I don't regularly do that because that, that, I, I save that arrow for times when I really need a sharp arrow. <laughs> I keep that in the quiver, and sometimes I just rattle the quiver. That's all I got to do. No, to mimic Christ is, is to be like him. But the way we're supposed to be like him, that, you know, because if we think about it, we go, well, gosh, how can I heal the sick, and how can I raise the dead, and how can I uh, die, how can I do all these things? Look, the part of Christ that we're to mimic is his love. Because when we mimic the love of Christ Jesus, we mimic everything else. 
We don't have to worry about the, the you know, this and this. and that. We don't have to worry about, about getting so technical, if you will. All we have to do is think of it this way. What does Jesus' love in this situation look like? Because when you love like Jesus loved, you always mimic the actions of Christ. Because love is the basis of all of those things. So the scripture tells us, follow God's example. Mimic God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In the Old Testament, the the people of God were given uh, several different offerings that they were to, 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 to offer to God. Five, particularly in Leviticus, that are mentioned And there's an aroma from those offerings. And the aroma to God is what the scripture is talking about here. The aroma, God gave, Jesus gave himself up as an aroma, the offering. And so when we recognize that Jesus Christ is the example, that we're to love like him, and we look at his love, what we realize is that it's impossible for us to love like Jesus without a supernatural divine intervention in our life. Right? How can you love your spouse like Christ loves without supernatural divine intervention? Because he gave himself up. He went to a cross. That was the kind of love that he demonstrated. How can you love your children with that kind of love, without a supernatural intervention? Now, I would say kids are the easiest to love in all the people in the world. Would you agree with that? I mean, they're, I think so, because they're flesh of our flesh. I mean, they're, they're, they're from us, but... But our spouse, we had to choose to love them. We learned to love them. Our neighbor gets even harder, right? Especially when our neighbor plays loud music late at night. Mine don't do that, but I've lived in places where they do. And then it gets on to our, our co-workers, especially the workers that are foul. We're supposed to love them the way Christ loves us. And then if we even go further than that... Go to the Santa Rosa County Jail and walk through the jail cells and you'll see all the people that are in jumpsuits. And Jesus says that we're supposed to love them just like Christ loves us and gave himself up for us. And then if you keep on going down the list, you go to a max. See, this love thing is tough. But that's our example. We're to love to to imitate Christ in the way he loved us and gave himself up. In verse 3, and we're we're coming to an end, we're out of time here. Verse 3 is where the rubber really meets the road. Notice that Paul went from talking about following God and love to sexual immorality. He goes from dealing with follow God, love like Christ, and then in verse 3 he starts talking about the deeds of the flesh. Is it any surprise that this would be number one on the list when it comes to living as righteousness, uh, living righteous, living holy? Sexual immorality is the single greatest struggle that we face in this life. It's everywhere. But it's not a surprise. Here's why. Because of all other sins a man commits, he commits outside of the body, right? Doesn't the scripture say that sexual sin is a different kind of sin? That sexual sin is a sin that is committed against others, but it's also against your own body, your own temple. Here's the thing. Now, that, was, that wasn't 
a full explanation of that passage, but, but you get the gist. So it's sexual sin, sexual immorality is the thing that if the enemy can wrap us in that, he will, he will own us like a dirty plate to be set aside. Because how can we, as the people of God, love like Christ when we are engaged in not honoring the temple of the living Christ inside of us? He says here, flee, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or, and then he moves it on to beyond the, the sexual part, or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Paul is talking about an overarching filth in our life. He's dealing, he says, sexual immorality or impurity. These are two separate words. Sexual immorality comes from the root word that we get the word pornography. So it's any general, any any kind of sexual sin, any perversion of sexuality. Impurity is a more basic term that's Usually used of sex in the nature of uh, 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 it's usually de- dealing with sexual, but it's not always. Jesus used the word impurity one time in the scripture when he was talking about the dead rot of a bot or the decaying rot of a dead body. Other times in the New Testament, he's talking within the, the, the understanding of, of sexuality. So let's think of this word impurity, okay? And Jesus used this by the rot, the decaying rot of a body. Just picture that in your mind. You've got a body, and that body is decaying. It's not been preserved, it's just the flesh is rotting. Gross, right? That is the mental image of what, Jesus, of what the Scripture is telling us that we should be totally separate from. Because that is what impurity is in our lives we carry around in ourselves rotting flesh when we do not reject sexual immorality impurity greed lust those kinds of things because that is the is the product of the world that is the product of just a passive faith But to pursue an active faith, to pursue Christ, means that we are guarding ourselves against all those things that seem so normal in the world, but are actually antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have time this morning to go into all of the nuances of this, but I want it to be said enough that the expectation for the the follower of Christ, the expectation for the Christian is that we be substantially different from the rest of the world. Amen? The expectation is that we be not just substantially different, but totally different, so that when you look at 
somebody who's a Christ follower and somebody who's not, there is no way that we could confuse the two. It's impossible. But I ask you, if we were to put your life up next to someone who is not a Christ follower, would there be a substantial difference? That's a hard question. And really, for for most of us, it depends on the day. For most of us, it's today I did good, tomorrow maybe not so much. You know, my prayer today, before this moment, so my prayer this morning was this. Lord, don't let this come across as legalism. Because we're not talking about legalism here. Because it is entirely possible to do things right on the outside and be perverted on the inside. I can do all the right stuff. I can, I can be faithful in church attendance. I can be faithful in teaching. I can be faithful in, um, in helping the poor. And I can be faithful in giving. And I can be faithful in reading my Bible. But I can do all of those as dead works and still be perverted on the inside. And I use perverted not in a sexual nature as much as just a, a perversion of truth. I can do all those things and I can even make you think everything is good. And inside, I can be twisted and, and wrong, but now eventually it comes out, right? Eventually, that will come out, but at the end of the day, God is not looking for us to be legalistic. He's not looking for us to just do the right things. He's looking for us, on a deeper level, to love like Jesus loved. He is looking for holiness, but holiness as a result. Here it is. A result of wanting to please the Father. Why are you here today? Are you here because it's Sunday and it's just what you do? Or are you here because you wanted to meet with God? Or you wanted to meet God with other brothers and sisters in Christ? When we sing today, were those songs just words on a page? Hymns that we've known or... Were they words of life singing back to God the truths that we have come to believe based on what we find in God's word? When we pray, do we pray just words because it's time to pray or are we having a conversation communing with an almighty holy God? I don't know how much in your life this, this, this happens or, or, or this is a reality, but I know especially... For our younger generations, there is a constant battle in the realm of what Ephesians 5 is talking about when it comes to sexual purity, beginning with an eight-year-old, beginning with a six-year-old. The struggle to remain pure is impossible in our culture. Without the grace of God, without a supernatural work of God, without us daily yielding ourselves to Him. Does this make sense? And without the accountability from brother to sister in Christ. You say, well, how is that different? Well, because it used to be that if you wanted to think something dirty, you could think it. But if you needed help thinking dirty, you had to go to the corner store and buy something to help you think dirty, right? Today, the moment you're tempted... You can find whatever you want 
plus more, within seconds, any corner of the world. You think the enemy isn't at work? He is at work. And he's trying to get us to leave the holiness that we're called to. Because if he can make us a dirty plate, he knows that we can be set aside. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't use dirty plates. He absolutely does. But sometimes it's not even God setting us aside. Sometimes it's our own guilt that's setting us aside. This makes sense? All right, so are you a passive person, a person that has passive faith? Are you guilty of passive God syndrome? Or have you had a bout of AGS? Active God syndrome. Pursuing Christ by pursuing righteousness. I didn't even talk about all the other stuff that we could talk about. I don't need to because you all know, right? Let's start minimizing that which we allow into our head and our hearts in pursuit of righteousness. Because pursuing righteousness is pursuing Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray this day that you would help us to hear your words well. Father, I pray that we'd go back and we would read this passage of Scripture and we would let it sink into our hearts. And I pray that we would let it change us. Lord, it's such a high calling. It's so radical, it's so different. But Father, there is never... Never a time where doing what you say is wrong. You were, you were proved true and right every time. Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First Baptist Church, Gold Free.